0: we are on our Thursday podcast. We are talking about stress and the endocrine impact of stress, okay? So again, I want to reiterate during these times, um, I want to reiterate a few things. Um, First of all, we shouldn't be fearful. Um, Remember, as I've said before, fear is an acronym. False evidence appearing real. That alone can cause a lot of stress, okay? So we don't need to fear. And we don't. We, we need to focus on things that we can control. And if you watched uh, my Health Solutions episode on the radio a few weeks ago with my brother, he talked about there's basically two things we can control. And it's our attitude and it's our effort. And believe me, I know I need help on both of those all the time because it's, it's, these times can be very, very frustrating and stressful to myself. So um, during these times, we need to do our best to take care of ourselves. So we're going to be going through some slides today. Um, Hopefully you guys can see them on your end. And I'm going to go through some objectives. The slides will be available after the show too, so you'll have access to them. And as always, message us on Facebook uh, or YouTube. Let us know if you have any questions while we're streaming. We stream live on Facebook and on YouTube. We also archive these episodes on those formats. Um, Actually, on YouTube, we, we archive them after they've been edited, and we also archive them on all the podcast forums, so um, SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, all those, you can go there and listen to these podcasts, so please go there, um, like them, review them, subscribe to them, and so we can keep this going, so following along, so the objectives of of today is you're going to learn about our physiological response to stress, and you 're going to be able to learn recognize the the endocrine impact and how the endocrine system works we 're not going to get too technical today um, i myself i don 't like to get too technical I like to keep it in simple terms and that 's whether i 'm talking to um, the lay public or healthcare providers. I like to keep it simple because i 'm simple um, How does it affect how does chronic chronic stress affect us? Uh, And what are things that we need to look at in in laboratory values or things that we can um, test that we can do to see if we are stressed? Um, And and of course, probably the most important thing, what are some things that we can do to affect how we respond to the stress? We can't always change the stress that's in our life. It's how we respond to it. So if you're looking at that slide, 75% of diseases prevalent in Western society today are related to the stress mechanisms of, of the body. What does that mean to me? That means that most diseases are preventable, and we've known this for years. And if you look at our our sick care system and healthcare, um, we're not very good at preventing disease. Um, we're pretty good at putting out fires for the diseases. So, you know, if you've got diabetes, let's give you insulin. Um, if you got if you have arthritis, let's give you an anti-inflammatory medication. Let's not talk about the things we can do to prevent diabetes or to prevent the arthritis. Um, so we, we two, typically, our traditional healthcare system is a sick care model. And if you look at what's going on in the country right now, it is truly, truly the fact that it's the sick care model. So, and, and at times we're pretty good at that, but we're not very good at preventing things. So what is stress? There's there's really two types of stress. Um, there's many different subsets in those, but we have physical stress and we have mental stress. Now, in the past, you know, if we if you look at ourselves as a, through an evolutionary um, period, if you look at the past of wh- how we were supposed to restore and respond to stress in the past, you know, think about us getting, you know, a lion chasing us. Okay, um, we responded to stress we would respond to stress in two different ways. You know, you know, you either fight or you flight, okay? And we'll talk a little bit more about that in detail when we get to how the adrenals respond. Um, and we'll even talk about the adrenals. So, um, And those are those are pretty common. Now, mental stress, and you know, I didn't live back then and I don't know how good our history is to write about back then, but I got to think some of the mental stress was a little bit different um, because it didn't have the stress of, you know, a a job, um, commuting to work. I I mean, not that they didn't work. Don't get me wrong. They worked very hard hunting and gathering. Um, but you know, the stress of some of the things that we have in today's society, like a commute to work or all the stresses at work, it was, you know, it was just, it was a lot different. So they didn't have a lot of that chronic mental stress possibly. Um, and they might've just dealt with it differently, um, due to the way they, they responded with their, um, you know, diets and their attitudes. So what are some symptoms? If you look at some symptoms, what are some symptoms that you might be stressed? Waking up in the morning feeling um, tired and and not feeling refreshed. Um, Feeling tired most of the rest of the day. Um, Needing coffee, soda, caffeinated drinks, or sugary snacks to get going and keep going. Boy, isn't that common in our our society today. I was driving yesterday, um, headed home from work, and you know this is at 5 something at night um and the line at Starbucks was going around the block so what does Starbucks have they have caffeine and they have sugar in them most of them not all of them but most of them so when you look at how our country really survives a lot on sugary drinks monster energy drinks um red bulls whatever or starbucks you look at that and you look at you look at how our country and our people in our country it might be a really stressed. So, um, also just feeling feeling exhausted, um, and your mind continues to race, filled with anxiety. How many people these days are on anti-anxiety medications? How many people use alcohol to cope? Um, you know, which which does decrease anxiety because it is a CNS depressant. Um, so, and remember, what causes anxiety? If you think about what causes anxiety, is most of the things that causing that anxiety is fear of the unknown. Well, let's remember what fear is, okay? So let's not get scared of things we don't even know are going to happen. So some other things, um, aging too quickly, poor digestion. And if you were with us the last couple episodes, our special episodes here, um, we talked about the importance of gastrointestinal health, and, and that is probably trumps everything. You can't absorb your nutrients if your gastrointestinal health is is not optimal so you can't absorb your nutrients from food micronutrients macronutrients so we can um so our bodies can repair Uh, struggling to lose weight in spite of dieting and exercise this is a very very common one that we see patients that just can't lose weight yet they they seem to eat a low calorie diet and they seem to be exercising this could be an endocrine response issue okay an adrenal issue um achy muscles um Joints or tensions in the body, neck and shoulders, especially Um, diminished sex drive, decreased libido. So, if you think about it, if our bodies are under a lot of stress, um, it makes sense that we would have a decreased sex drive. Why? Because if our bodies are under a lot of a lot of stress, the last thing our bodies would want would be to procreate and possibly create more stress. So, that is a big big issue when it comes to decreased libido is stress. It's not always, which it is a hormone issue because we're talking about adrenal hormones, but it's not always a a testosterone issue. And speaking of that, we will be talking about that in a few weeks also. Feeling depressed, um, lack of motivation, um, getting sick more frequently, decreased immune health. I mean, if we are under chronic stress on our body and we're not taking the appropriate actions, um, our body cannot respond well and we will have a decreased um, immunity to many things. let's think about think about this um, cancer. Uh, you know, we're all talking about viruses and bacteria recently, um, but think about cancer too. When you look at cancer, our immune system fights cancers off all the time. We are bombarded with all kinds of all kinds of carcinogens, okay, all over. and our body just normally fights them off. If we have a decreased immunity, a decreased immune system, we will not be able to fight off those carcinogens, and many times when I ask patients when they, you know, had breast cancer for instance. Now there are exceptions to every rule, okay? But I'm just I'm just giving some general examples. You talk about a patient it's like, oh, so yeah, I got breast cancer when I was 39. Okay, well, what was going on in your life? Was there anything going on in your life? Any kind of stress? Well, you know what? I my my son had died like six months before that, and um, then the stress response happens, and then you have decreased an immune decreased immune system because you're chronically stressed. So that is not that uncommon of a story: a car wreck, or a loss of a loved one, um, a divorce. Um, all those things can cause the stress response can cause disease. Uh, so when you think about what the stress response is, um, we have in our body, we have. Um, three different glands when we want to talk about the stress response. So we're going to call it um, the hypothalamus, pituitary, and adrenal gland. It's also called HPA axis dysfunction, all right, or adrenal dysfunction. Adrenal is only one part of that. You've got the hypothalamus that talks to the pituitary that talks to the adrenal glands. For the purpose of our discussion, and I, I might get some people out there that aren't going to like this, but for the purposes of our discussion i am just going to use the terms hpa axis dysfunction and adrenal dysfunction um in the same in the same way okay they're not the same but you kind of you treat them the same pretty much so but realize that it's a very complicated system and um you could do a you could do a master's thesis on it so and we don't have the time um, or nor I don't have the knowledge to do that anyway. So we're going to talk focus mostly on the adrenals, but just realize that you know this HPAx the HPA axis that that we're really talking about. All those parts have to talk. All those parts have to talk to each other um, for us to be able to respond to stress. Now let's talk about the adrenal glands. Adrenal. Ad means above. Renal means kidneys. So they're little pea-sized glands that sit on the top of the kidneys. Okay and they produce hormones in response to stress the name the word adrenaline comes from adrenal gland so adrenaline also known as epinephrine it comes from the adrenal gland cortisol is also produced in the adrenal gland okay and cortisol is the is you know when you think of cortisol it's more of the one to get us through the the general stressors of the day. It's not the one that we need right now when a tiger or a lion lion is, is chasing us. That's more of epinephrine, although cortisol will be released also. So when our body's response to stress, when you think about what happens if a tiger or a lion was chasing us, we should, you know, those hormones should... Our adrenal glands should pump up hormones, um, adrenaline and cortisol, to prepare us to either fight that tiger or flight or, or run from that tiger. Okay, and if and then when that stressor goes away, the levels should come back down to baseline or be normal throughout the day. So if that is if if that is not working properly, we could be on overload because our stress when our stress is too high will be our our levels will be high too high all the time. So um, that the The next slide really just talks about the the what happens in stages of of stress so like you can you can call it stage one stage two stage three so if you're in stage one stage one is you're basically being stressed a lot there's a stress in your life that's not going away you're on you're on overload your adrenal glands are pumping out too much cortisol and and your body is um, you know, respond in an appropriate way. Sometimes in stage one, um, these people will feel great. I mean, think about it. Their stress hormone's on high. So sometimes they'll feel okay. Now, they might have a hard time sleeping at night because their cortisol's high, so they're not going to be, they're kind of under stress, so they can't be sleeping at night. Um, that is not a good thing, of course. So then you go into stage two where their cortisol kind of starts Fading out, and then stage three is when they can't produce cortisol hardly at all anymore. So we're going to go into that a little bit um, more here shortly. So if you look at the next slide, the uh, the normal diurnal range of cortisol. Okay, we are we are diurnal, diurnal humans are diurnal. We're not nocturnal. We are meant to work during the day and sleep at night. So. Our cortisol should peak in the morning when we start waking up and then it should go down slowly throughout the day until it should be lowest at like two o'clock in the morning when we should be in deep sleep. And if you look at that graph, what that graph is showing is, now there's a there's a range. That's kind of what the graph is showing. So there's a top range and a bottom range. But in general, your cortisol should be following this pattern, okay? Um, if you look at the next slide, an am, an abnormal cortisol rhythm, what you'll see is cortisol high in the morning and it goes down slowly throughout the day like it should, but then it kind of goes up through the night. And then usually those are patients that are going to have a hard time sleeping. And remember sleep is where we get our recovery. So if we're not sleeping, everything is going to be messed up. So it's important. It's important, important, important to sleep. Uh, So how do we measure cortisol? So there's two, there's, There's two or three different ways. There's more than that. But I'm gonna talk about two. We're gonna talk about serum cortisol. Serum is, you have to have a blood draw. Um, One of the problems with having a blood draw is, it's a blood draw. It's a procedure that has to be usually done by, you know, some kind of, you had to go into an office and get your blood drawn. So, and so usually it's first thing in the morning was I recommend a blood draw. A cortisol, a one-time blood draw of cortisol in the middle of the day, I don't think does it has much value. Um so I think a morning cortisol is important because that shows how you're responding for the you know at least to prepare yourself for the day. I'm a big believer in s- saliva for testing cortisol and here's why. If we want to find out what somebody's cortisol is doing in the morning, at noon, at dinner time, and right before bedtime, we would have to do four blood draws, four serum draws to um, get those levels, or we could do it in saliva. Now, first of all, as you can imagine, doing those four blood draws during that day and happen to go to a lab and get them drawn—that alone is going to increase stress response. So, I'm—I I'm, I'm, don't think it's—it's it's not the most convenient. It's invasive, and it can—it can be a stressor in itself. If you're already drawing blood, it's not that hard to add a cortisol to it. So, if you already have a drawing a morning blood. You know, with other other hormones, I don't think it's a bad idea to add a morning cortisol to it. But if you're just doing it to try to monitor cortisol levels four times throughout the day, I don't think it's the the most convenient way. So in saliva, it's it's easy because saliva is easier to collect. You, it's a in-home test. You basically spit into a tube. You do it in the morning at noon at dinner time and at bedtime, and then those samples get sent off to a lab, and then the results come back. And we're trying to map out what the cortisol is doing all day long. Um, saliva also, just a little tidbit, saliva also tests free levels. Um, unbound, in, in our blood, we have what's called... Um, well, we have proteins, and depending on the hormone, it depends on what sticks to them. But we have proteins in our blood that certain hormones um, bind to. And if they bind to those hormones, they won't be free to work at the receptor sites. So it's important to test free levels. Well, saliva already does that. And saliva is also a tissue, so it might be more representative of tissue levels rather than what's in our blood. because just, just because something's in our blood doesn't mean it's necessarily in our tissue where the, where the substances need to work. We should also include in this test um, a fasting glucose, um, DHEA. DHEA is a hormone that is produced in the adrenal glands in response to stress, helps us respond to stress. So it's usually produced along with cortisol. Um, DHEA-S, the sulfated form, is the one that is kind of the active form that floats around in the blood. Um, And both these things affect glucocorticoids and corticoids. Now, what are those? We're going to get into that a little bit later when we talk about minerals and vitamins, but that is those, th- because they are corticoids. they do affect, and glucocorticoids, they affect glucose, and they affect the minerals in our, bo- in our body. So with this glucose, one of the things we're testing for also is that, um, you know, if you have too high of fasting glucose, you might also have... Um, insulin resistance, so uh, an insulin level is not a bad thing to check, and of course, insulin resistance means that you are producing a lot of insulin in response to um, stressors, uh, mostly um, increased glucose. So you produce insulin to lower that glucose, and that can lead to diabetes, and and not an insulin resistance and metabolic syndrome. Those are there are so many diseases that are related to that. So that's why it's so important to get these things under control because this, these responses are what happens to our body when, a, and a lot of other diseases are caused. So some other things to test are our thyroid function. I'm going to talk about the hierarchy of the glands a little bit later on in the talk, but um, just really brief, TSH, free T4, and free T3. Um I like all three of those, not just TSH. If anybody listening or watching is on thyroid medication, they, they might see that their TSH is is checked. Um that is maybe a good screening tool, but I will talk about next week. I'll talk about in a thyroid presentation about why it's important to get a complete thyroid panel and the importance of, of free T3. So make sure you're getting those tests also. Um also vitamin D, check your vitamin D. It's 25 hydroxy vitamin D levels. Um I'm going to talk about in the talk next week on Thursday um on vitamin D also. So so tune in next week to learn more about thyroid and vitamin D. Those two those things are very important. So when we talk about cortisol, cortisol is a is a mineral corticoid. What does that mean? It's a it it holds on to minerals in the blood, including sodium and including some other things. So when your cortisol levels are high, you basically need more minerals. And when and also more vitamins also. I mean, if you think about it, your body is on stress. So you need more minerals, you need more vitamins. So um, diet during these times is so, so, so important. And possibly supplementation if need be. Um and so and, and here's what's important also. So if you look at the intracellular micronutrients, what does that mean? That's a that's just a fancy name of talking about the nutrients inside the cell. There's some pretty cool tests that we can do now, that will test the nutrients that are inside the cell. Why is that important? Well, think about what a serum blood draw is. So when we blood when we draw blood for anything, whether it be hormone levels or whether it be vitamin levels, we draw venous blood. What is venous blood? Um, We draw the blood and then we we spin it out to get just the serum part of it. Okay, but what is what is venous blood? Venous blood is blood that is taking away from the liver. It's been it's been detoxified and taken away from the liver to be it's already been processed. So we got to think: is that the blood that we really want to test? Is that the levels we really want to test? Because that's not really what's really in the tissue and what's really in the cell, and that's where most all these things happen is inside the cell. So there's good technology now to use. Um, to be able to test what levels of nutrients are in the cell. So if message us on Facebook if you want more information about that. It's it's super cool technology. The next slide, it gives me a headache. I don't know if it gives you a headache, but I uh you know there's a lot going on there. And there's two purposes to this slide for me that I wanted to get across: is that if you look at the very top of the slide, not the very top, but the second one down, you got acetyl-CoA and cholesterol. Cholesterol cholesterol the villain of the villain of of everybody's disease in America right well here's proof right here without cholesterol we will die cholesterol is needed in every every cell in the body and you're going to hear a lot of these things be repeated you know I I talked about this last week but you're going to hear this repeated cuz I want everybody to know about it cholesterol is not the villain Cholesterol is new, is essential to our health, and without it, we will die. It's essential for brain function. It's in every cell in the body. We produce hormones from cholesterol. So there's some thought that when our cholesterol, most patients start having cholesterol now, it's getting younger and younger all the time. Um, but it used to be, you know, 30 years ago when we started testing cholesterol it was usually patients in their 40s and 50s that started getting elevated cholesterol levels now i find it interesting that elevated cholesterol levels you get after your hormones start declining so is your body trying to respond and say hey we need more hormones so we're going to hold on to cholesterol more i don't know i think it's a it's a reasonable theory interesting thing is is that why are we having younger people in their 20s and 30s with low cholesterol or with high cholesterol levels now um uh, my opinion is because of our crappy lifestyles, you know, so, and that's one of the reasons we're seeing low hormone levels. We're seeing men in their twenties with hormone levels of men that should be that are in their seventies. So I I think it's just part of our lifestyle. Again, the great news is, is we can control that. We don't necessarily need to go on an anti-cholesterol medication. I'm not a big fan at all of the statins. And this is one of the reasons why. So that, that, and, and the other thing is, is I just wanted to, that slide is just a reminder that, all these hormones work together, so it's, it's I call it the hormone symphony. So we they have to be in balance in order for our bodies to work optimally. Here's just some other symptoms, and I'll go over quick of of things that we see. Just think about these diseases that we treat in a, in a traditional healthcare setting. Um, pain loss of libido we talked about that already poor memory lightheaded when standing that that makes total sense if we have um low cortisol levels cortisol hangs on to to salt which sodium chloride sodium which will hang on to water so we're going to get um lightheaded on standing um headaches alcohol intolerance and and think about alcohol intolerance um think about how you drink more alcohol when you are if you're if you're responding if you want trying to respond to stressors especially anxiety you will sometimes patients will use drugs or alcohol insert any drug there insert any anti-anxiety drug there and you could you could say the same thing so tenderness in the low back cold intolerances cold intolerances could be due to low thyroid which says stress is affected by by thyroid Um, what are some other ones i want to show low blood pressure makes sense on when we with the mineral corticoid, um, muscle wasting, atrophy, not being able to build muscle, not being able to recover in the gym. These are all signs of of too much stress. And if you think about what cortisol does, cortisol is a catabolic hormone, okay? What does catabolic mean? It breaks down our bodies, catabolic as opposed to anabolic. Testosterone is an anabolic hormone. Testosterone helps to build our bodies up. So it helps build build muscle mass, build bone mass. Cortisol does the exact opposite. So when somebody it takes cortisol, when somebody takes like prednisone, um you guys have heard of that for like arthritis for instance, with some of these diseases that may be caused from inflammation, and when somebody takes prednisone, um they can have osteoporosis, bone loss. They can have um muscle wasting. So they're completely different than um they're completely different than the the um the anabolic the anabolic steroids that we that that we would talk about so um cortisol can have some long term you know not so good effects so it's important to realize that so some uh, so that's why you could see osteoporosis you would see um, depression uterine fibroids it's also another another hormone imbalance we'll be talking about that in the future of course some thyroid stuff there um, so that's why these things are so very very important and stress affects so many things uh Okay, so um, so what are some common sources of, of stress? Oh, we talk oh okay, yeah on the slide, the physical aspects of, of cortisol and DHEA. Basically with that slide, I just wanted to show you, just like we're talking about, just how many things are really affected there. There's a lot of these systems that stem from the ad- adrenal dysfunction and it affects a lot of different other things a lot of different things so we have to get that in balance first some of the stressors you know blood sugar blood sugar issues inflammation um, mental emotional stress we talked about physical stress um we're going to talk about sleep too that that's a that's a, should be a no brainer so we're going to talk about things that we can control though management first first and and primary is you know, things we can change. Lifestyle changes. So the most important thing, I believe, is probably sleep. So the physical, that's when we our body repairs and regenerates itself. I also call sleep recovery because it's really the same thing. So it's not just sleep. We'll talk about some deep sleep and when we sleep at night. But think about this too. Rest is important in general. I mean, we when we talk about high-caliber athletes, you know, training for the Olympics, um, th- their bodies, even though they can eat, you know, they can have a dialed in diet and they and they can eat enough calories and even get enough micronutrients and macronutrients, um, their bodies can only tolerate so much physical stress. So they need rest and their coaches will tell them about rest and it's not, this to sleep at night although that's when the major recovery happens it's also what we do when we are resting so if we're you know um are we are we taking breaks are we resting at night are we you know getting away from social media are we getting away from electronics um, that constant stuff is stress so when we go home at night do we have a period where we just are off all kinds of of social media off all kinds of electronics and and maybe even no tv um, I think those are things important to to remember, um, because that is part of our rest and recovery. So but when we talk about sleep, let's talk about um when let's talk about what we normally think of as sleep. So most of our body's repair takes place between ten ten PM and two AM. And I just want to mention one thing. If you guys really want to hear a great podcast on sleep, um Rhonda Patrick has a great podcast on sleep. And Matthew Walker, when she interviewed him, he talks, that's his specialty is sleep. And it's an amazing, amazing podcast. And we realize how important sleep is. So so that's when um, physical repair and regeneration takes place um, a little bit later. Under ideal circumstances, we would get eight hours of sleep. And we would also... Be to bed by ten o'clock at night. Now, I think that can be debatable or whatever if something else fits your schedule. But maybe nine to eleven. Think about it as nine to eleven, and then you know you would get up between six and and um, between five and and seven in the morning. So um, that's under ideal circumstances. I know that's not always possible. Uh, think about what. Think about the things that happen when we don't have good sleep. I. I call these the dirty dozen. Elevated cortisol at bedtime. Um, you're gonna have a hard time sleeping at night. Um, so low and low output or timing with melatonin. Cortisol, stress hormone, is inversely proportional to melatonin. Melatonin is the hormone that helps us sleep at night. Okay, and put us into REM sleep. Cortisol high, melatonin low. Melatonin low, cortisol high. So if your cortisol is high at night, that means your melatonin is low. So it's Im- there's two things we need to do. Maybe get the cortisol level up or get the melatonin level up and get the cortisol level down. And there's lifestyle changes can, can make that happen. So low levels of progesterone. If you have low levels of progesterone, as a female and it's not just progesterone's not just for I know it's controversial but but males have progesterone also and it can help with some of their sleep issues you will have sleep issues if you have low levels of progesterone and it's not it's not just women that are premenopause or you know perimenopause or postmenopause that have low levels of progesterone there are many women in their 20s that have low levels of progesterone And and some of the issues that they would be dealing with would be infertility, irregular cycles, um, insomnia, headaches, especially falling around their cycles. Those are all symptoms um, suggesting low progesterone. Um, Caffeine uh, and other stimulants, take those at night. That's that's a problem. Not for everybody, but it it is for most. So try to limit your caffeine intake at night. Um, Exercising too late in the day that's definitely a problem um everybody's affected differently so they kind of have to set a a set time for me i don't like to do any kind of intense exercise after at least start it after seven o'clock at night because it, it will definitely affect my sleep um i like uh, the one i it's I, I thought i saw it in here but anyway alcohol alcohol is a problem okay A lot of people say, well, I like to have a few glasses of wine at night because it helps to relax me. And I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing, but here's what I suggest. Um, I suggest that you try not drinking and see how much better you sleep. Here's the problem with alcohol. It wears off after about four hours. So how many people have ever had a few drinks and they feel great going to sleep because it is a CNS depressant. It, it, It relaxes our bodies. And then four hours later, they wake up. Guilty. I'm definitely guilty of that. It happens all the time. So be ve- be very careful of alcohol. Um, you know, partner snores. Uh, those are things that can uh, that, that can definitely affect affect um, sleep um, sleep apnea. Can definitely af- affect sleep. Uh, Restless leg syndrome. So realize all those. Um, so moderate exercise and cortisol. Moderate exercise, any kind of exercise, should increase your cortisol level. Um, we will talk a little bit more about movement, nutrition, and rest in in a few episodes down the line. But this talks about mo- moderate exercise and cortisol. Um, I, I think what's important thing is is that you know how to help your body recover, because it's not that intense exercise is bad. It's not at all. In fact, I think there's a very, very good reason for it. There's been lots of studies on that. Um, that you you will respond better to intense exercise but it has to be it can't be all the time because that alone would be a stressor on your body um okay so so the other lifestyle change that we can do with um sleep disorders is our sleep hygiene and and here's what's here's what's really good to look at when we look at our sleep. Here's what's important. If you if you listen to the um podcast uh with with Matthew Matthew Walker, you'll get a, a lot more idea on it, but there's it, it's depth of sleep, it's continuity of sleep and it's also regularity of sleep. You know, so how deep are you sleeping, how long are you sleeping, a duration too. So depth, duration, continuity and and um Consistency. If you think about that, how long are we sleeping? Okay, that's duration. What's the depth of the sleep? Are we, are we like waking up a little bit all the time because our partner's snoring? Um, what's the duration of it? Did we get how many hours of good sleep did we get, and how many nights do we do that? That would be more the consistency of it. So those are the four important factors with sleep. Uh, so here's some other things, just dietary, dietary wise. It talks about um, um, teens teens who skip breakfast more likely to be obese, and I think that's probably not that um, surprising necessarily, um, and this just goes to show how important our, our diet is and we, we need to eat good whole foods, nutrient-dense foods, and skipping breakfast is not necessarily a good thing. Now... I will tell you this, there's some, uh, diets are specific to each individual. They need to be personal. And there's a lot of argument that intermittent fasting is good. Um, I don't know if it'd be good for a teenager necessarily. Depends on the teenager. But, um, you know, definitely as adults, I think intermittent fasting definitely has, has some definitely good benefits. So think think about things that we can do as diet to, to not fluctuate our blood sugar. Would be more frequent smaller meals. Um less decreased carbs, especially processed carbs. Um, you know, so our blood sugar is not spiking like that, like up and down. Um, and let's see, uh, fiber fiber is another thing that can be very important for, for, um, that, for s- preventing this, the spiking of our, of our blood sugar levels. Um, You know, if you think about when we eat whole fruits, when we eat whole fruits like berries, or when we eat an apple, um, you know those, you know those, they're they're high in sugar. There's no doubt about it. But why do they not have a really high glycemic index? I know that's all relative, but it's because they have fiber. So that fiber doesn't let the the um, sugar spike, which doesn't allow the insulin to spike, which can then cause a lot of other problems. So, so. See here. So, um, our normal our normal cortisol production should should definitely be uh, um, definitely be highest in the morning, slowly going down throughout the day, being lowest at at, at two o'clock in the morning. Um, I'm going to go through these slides pretty quickly now. Uh, I talked about adrenal exhaustion already, and in, you know stage two and stage three of adrenal exhaustion. Um, I think what's important now to realize is that there are three things that we can kind of control with the stress, how we react to it, but our diet, our, 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 how we move, because how we exercise will decrease, um, will help our bodies stay strong and will and then sleep, of course, will help our bodies recover. So one thing I do want to, as I finish up this, this topic is the hierarchy of, of our glands and responding to stress. So this is, we're talking about the hypothalamus pituitary adrenal glands, okay? But our body, if you look at the, the last slide here, our body has many other um, glands that need to work with the adrenal glands or with this axis to, to be in balance. And they are, I'm just going to give an example of a few of them. They are your thyroid, so your adrenals, your thyroid, and your ovaries and your testes. When you think about those glands they follow a hierarchy which means this without our without our adrenal glands we will die so if you're going to pick one of those to get into balance the most important one would be your would be your adrenal glands secondly your thyroid gland is kind of the second in the in the um, echelon our thyroid gland we can live without a thyroid um, t- we won't live optimally but we can replace you know hormones with when our thyroid's gone and then we'll be better. Um, and then our sex hormones, which would be our adrenal gl- our ovaries or our testes. We can definitely live with those, not very optimally. Um, but there again, it just shows how the adrenal glands trump it all. If our adrenal glands are not in balance, then our thyroid and our um, um, sex hormones will not be in balance. So I think the important thing is is to know how all those work together and to get them in balance appropriately because usually there is I mean like I say the adrenals are the most important but usually um there might be a little bit of an imbalance in all of them and you could maybe use a uh, overall hormone balancing. So so just to reiterate what we talked about how important diet nutrition and sleep is with adrenal gland recovery, um, also movement. We will talk about all three of those later, and just the overall hormone cascade. There are things that you can do um, when you think about some of the things that some of the diseases like arthritis and um, osteoarthritis or um, other diseases of that are inflammatory in response. A lot of those are due to adrenal, adrenal dysfunction so there are things that you can do to help that decrease that inflammation in your body and and possibly prevent those diseases so as always um listen to us monday morning 1 to 2 p.m. Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. We will be um, live on the radio, AM 1470 KBSN. And we would appreciate callers. You can call in to that radio show 509-765-1470 and follow us here on Facebook. And we look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you so much for listening.